Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In Gaza, every day brings more bombs, more destruction, and a growing death toll. More than 200 Palestinians including 59 children, have already been killed in the Israeli bombardment over the last week. Imagine getting locked in a place, no electricity, barely any food, and bombing every single day, every single night. On the other side, 10 Israelis, including two children, have been killed by Hamas rockets. President Joe Biden has joined the international clamour calling for a ceasefire. But the bloodshed looks likely to continue. You just feel that your heart is bursting out of anger and suffocation and injustice. Increasingly, Middle East watchers say a ceasefire alone wouldn't be enough. Until the situation on the ground in the besieged Gaza Strip is improved, the stage will always be set for another war. So what is life like in Gaza when the bombs are raining down and when they're not. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, The View from Gaza. Hello? All right, is it good now? Yes, I can hear you now. Thank you so much for this. Definitely. That's Malak Matar. We've been trying to connect for a while, but right now, internet problems are the least of her worries. I'm 21. I was born and raised in the Gaza Strip. Malik is a Palestinian student. At 21, she's already an accomplished artist, but over the past week, it's been impossible to paint. Well, it's been bombing, like, very intensely. Let me tell you, like, how things started in the Gaza Strip, so... We have a holy month of Ramadan. And the end of, of these days are the most holy because we have like a night, it's called the Al-Qadr, where people devote themselves for worshipping. Mm. This night, nine children got killed by one airstrike in Beit Hanun in North Gaza. Dawn in Gaza, the Islamic holiday at the end of Ramadan. Shattered by airstrikes on a building Israel says belongs to Hamas. And that was shocking because this night, it's, it's like a very holy day. It, it was like a preparation for Eid, which is the most celebrated holiday. So during this time, this bombing happened that killed these 
children. When it starts this way, it doesn't feel promising at all. Every single day, things get even worse, more intense, more bombings get fired in different parts. And as a survivor of three major and devastating wars, I could say, and there's a consensus between Palestinians in Gaza, that this time it's different. It's different because of the military weapons that Israel is using. It's really very advanced, very complex. It's very destructive. So now I'm in the city where all the residential buildings are, and also by living by the sea, gunboats are being fired as well. Bombardment from both sides. From the ground, from the air, and from the sky. At 21, Malik has already lived through three wars in the Gaza Strip. Whilst the low-level fighting rarely stops, it's flared up into full-scale war in 2008, 2012 and 2014. And I'm living the fourth now. But even in peacetime, life in the Gaza Strip is hard. If I can describe it with one word, I would say it's unlivable. It's really an open-air prison. Gaza Strip has been living under military blockade for 15 years. Here we are over 2 million people living in a small piece of land of 365 kilometers, which means it's the third most dense place in the world. The unemployment here is 50%, which is the highest in the world. Mm. All the people I know, without any exception, they are all university graduates, but they cannot find jobs. And even the other 50% who are able to find jobs, they are working with very minimum wage of $200 and sometimes even less in a month. For the past 15 years, ever since the Palestinian militant group Hamas seized control of Gaza, this strip of land has been under a military blockade by land, air and sea. The Israelis on one side and the Egyptians on the other have to approve any goods, medicines or people coming in or out. It's made it very hard for Palestinians to leave and it's killed exports. And the manufacturing industry in Gaza has withered as a result, taking jobs with it. Malik says even her art has to be approved by the Israelis before it can be sent out of the Gaza Strip, which she says makes her censor some of her own work. The blockade has also made it hard to get goods into Gaza. We are able to get food, but there's always limitation. There's always limited amounts of things that get access to the Gaza Strip. So for me as an artist, there's very limited amount of paints and canvas and art material that I'm able to use. I would say that many places here, many neighborhoods, are under the line of poverty. And moreover, what makes the situation worse is the military occupation of Israel. There is no safety, which is one of the most important right for human beings, is to be able to feel safe. Gaza, with the three wars that it survived in 2008, 2012, and 2014, has been witnessing crisis in all sectors, whether it's economic, political, social, but when I speak about the three wars, that was not it. There were attacks in between these wars. There were murders between these wars and also tens of people who lost their lives in the Gaza Strip. But we didn't call it war. 
So it's it's constant state of fear and anger and also injustice because just imagine living in a tiny place where you are not able to leave. Palestinians in Gaza feel boxed in with two million people crammed into a strip of land smaller than the Isle of Wight. If you pull out a map, you'll see the Gaza Strip is surrounded by Israel, Egypt and the Mediterranean Sea. I live by the sea, so I can't see it, but even the sea is occupied. We are only allowed a few miles in the sea. So if a fisherman decided to just cross this line for like for just fishing, they get murdered. There are Israeli boats patrolling. Yes. If they cross just a li- like a few centimeters of the line allowed, they get murdered. Just last year, the father of two girls from Al-Bakr family, he got killed. On May the 15th, 2017, Mohammed Baka, a 25-year-old father of two, was fishing with two of his brothers and a cousin when he was fatally shot by the Israeli Navy. A spokesman from the Israeli Defence Force told reporters their small fishing boat had deviated from the designated fishing zone. It's suffocating. It's you are seized from the sky because now, while I'm talking to you, even if there's no bombings, there are drones. Are these drones that are sort of watching what's happening in Gaza? What are they used for? Yes, it's watching, but it's also the loud voice. To make it more like imaginable, it's like a bee. The sound is like this, but... You know, like multiply this with 20. So we sleep every night with this sound. That becomes like a normal thing because we are used to it. With watchful drones overhead and an ailing economy on the ground, the people of Gaza have faced a fresh threat. Even before the Israeli bombardment began, Gaza was rocked by COVID. I got tested positive for COVID just a few weeks ago. The hospitals, they did not have the capacity for the tens and hundreds of people getting tested positive. There are no enough breathing machines. There are no enough beds. People were dying. People were dying without being able to get the medications they wanted. Because, as I said, it's a siege. So there is limitation to how much access to, to medical supplies that we have. So when I got the corona test, I took it in the street because there was no centers. There is no enough places for all these huge numbers of people who have corona. Even if the war stopped, they will still be dying because of the lack of the medical capacity in the Gaza Strip. We only have one big major hospital and minor in different parts of the city, but it's still, there's limitation, the electricity gets cut. The situation before like the attack was already miserable. So the least, least, least thing that Gaza was able to endure is another attack that is erasing the city, that is destroying the most important and main buildings of tens of Palestinian families who are now homeless. In Gaza, even when the walls stop, tensions are rarely far from the surface. In recent weeks, they've been stoked again by the expansion of Israeli settlements into occupied East Jerusalem in neighbourhoods like Sheikh Sharar. You are stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. No, no one, no one. 
The plight of Palestinians facing eviction from their homes was then exacerbated by the Israeli police storming the Al-Aqsa Mosque. More than 300 Palestinians were injured in those confrontations today alone, along with 21 police officers. Hamas, the Islamist group that runs Gaza and is classified as a terrorist organisation by Israel, America and the EU, issued an ultimatum to Israeli forces to leave the Al-Aqsa Mosque or they'd start firing rockets at Israel. When the deadline came and went and nothing changed, sirens went off in Tel Aviv as Hamas retaliated. Hamas militants fired dozens of rockets into Israel and the Israelis responded with a series of strikes in northern Gaza. The conflict enters its second week. Officials in Gaza said that nearly 200 Palestinians had been killed in the past week. Ten Israelis died in rocket attacks launched from Gaza. Israel's prime minister says he does not intend to stop attacking Gaza despite mounting global pressure and outrage at the civilian casualties. The Palestinian health ministry says 59 children and 35 women are among the dead. People tell me, like, go to a safe place. There is no safe place. Even schools get bombed. The only place people can stay in is home. And homes are targeted. Residential buildings are getting targeted. Where you are at the moment, what can you see if you look out of the window? What what has it been like in the last few hours? The house didn't stop shaking. For the past six days, it's shaking constantly. And it's even like really? shaking so, in a so way the, that the room you're in, you can you feel, feel it. Yeah, definitely. In every bombing, no matter how far it is, and this is what makes it different. So even in the north or the east, which is like kilometers far from me, the house is still shaking, and it's shocking because they are far, but you still feel the effect. Many of Israel's airstrikes have targeted residential buildings, like the one Malak and her family live in. Israel says that Hamas deliberately hides military targets in residential buildings and civilian areas. But the civilian casualties are growing. I'm not exaggerating if I say like hundreds of bombings have been fired. When they are targeting a residential building, they are not targeting it with one or two or even five bombings. They are targeting it with dozens. So I remember just a few days ago, they targeted a building with 30 bombings. And and why I'm saying it's different, because the weight is different. It's more heavy. It's tons of metal getting thrown into buildings. So the building would be 15 floors and it would be falling like biscuits. I don't know if, if this makes sense. But the way it's falling, it's like you feel that the building is made of papers. Although it's like a huge, huge building. In some cases, not all, the Israelis have warned when they're about to bomb a building so that residents can be evacuated. Some people say like, okay, so it's evacuated, so there is no responsibility. It's fine, but it's not fine. I will tell you why. The evacuation comes with this. They fire a small bombing as a warning for the people to leave. And they call them just five to ten minutes before they bomb. So imagine telling a human being that you are losing, your home is getting bombed, Within 10 minutes, leave. There are mothers, because of the horrifying incident, they leave their kids and they keep running out of the streets. They lose their mind. 
there is a disabled man who got killed because he was not able to evacuate in the right time. And there are like the bombings that happened in the north and the east with firing without any evacuation. One building that did get a warning was the high-rise tower in Gaza that housed media organisations like Al Jazeera and the international news agency AP, the Associated Press. On Saturday, it was destroyed by airstrikes. Videos emerged of the owner of the building pleading with an Israeli official to allow journalists to collect their equipment before the bombing began. He's talking on the phone, surrounded by people in press vests and helmets, saying, can you please ask whoever's in charge, we just need 10 minutes. The request was not granted. The Israeli government says the building contained Hamas military intelligence assets. The Associated Press, AP, the renowned international news agency, issued a statement demanding evidence. It read, AP's bureau has been in this building for 15 years. We've had no indication Hamas was in the building, and this is something we actively check to the best of our ability. This is an incredibly disturbing development. We narrowly avoided a terrible loss of life. In that respect, AP was lucky, unlike many in Gaza. The fact that these bombings are so sophisticated, very advanced and very complex, Israel would be able to be careful not to murder more and more residents. They have this ability. These murders of these innocent people could have been avoidable. These injuries of the thousand people could have been avoidable. It does really feel surreal. It does feel that sometimes I get confused whether I'm living in a horror movie or just a life. You feel that the chance of surviving is getting less by the day. Social media has been awash with stories of loss in Gaza especially the impact on children. I don't even know what to do. I get scared, but not really that much. I get, I do anything for my people, but I don't know what to do. I'm just 10. I'm just 10. How is that affecting people in Gaza, hearing stories like that, seeing people around you being killed? It just feels that it's, we are getting close to, to the end. It's like a very overwhelming feeling. You just feel that your heart is bursting out of anger and suffocation and injustice. Tens of families are homeless. Tens of families who have worked hard to build their homes, to build their offices. And in in such a difficult city where making money feels like a miracle. So imagine like where will these people go in such a terrible situation under a pandemic? And building these buildings again will take years. It's not only like small losses, it's huge buildings that are in the center of Gaza. I will just give you an example of Al Shirok building. It's 15th floor. It's located in the neighborhood where I would call it's the soul of Gaza. It's a place, it's called Al Rimal, Al Rimal neighborhood. So this place is where really all people around the Gaza city, in the north, in the south, in the middle, they go to these places for shopping 
for their work, for their studies. It's like the center and the soul of the city. So this building of Ashuruq, which is the hugest building in this neighborhood, got demolished. And it's not only the building, it's what is around the building. So there's only one shopping center, which in a place like Gaza, having a shopping center is something big. It's also have been partially destroyed. My art store, like the art store that I buy art material from, it's the only art store in the Gaza Strip, has been completely destroyed. So now talking about a return for the life of this neighborhood, which is the life of many people and the life of many businesses, it has been demolished. It's been destroyed. I will not be able to remember how it looked like. You've grown up in Gaza. Everybody mm-hmm. sort of has the map of a place where they grew up in, in their mind, you know, the landmarks that are familiar. What is it like living in a place where all the landmarks you know get destroyed so regularly? Where all the neighbourhoods you know get bombed every few years? It just feels like, uh, it just feels that the end of the city is coming. If I want to meet up with a friend, I will tell them, hey, I'm in the front of the Ashurq building. It's places where people meet in. It's the places where you don't really forget. Every time I see these buildings destroyed, I feel that the place I'm in is getting erased. I feel that the city is fading every day. The city is collapsing every day. While we talk... I can faintly hear the sound of explosions in the background. They're coming from the gunboats that Malak described earlier. On social media, she's been posting videos with a view from her window. We are now working on accepting the fact that death is is near. Do you really feel that? Yes. I'm accepting to the fact that it's either death or life, and both sides I have to be accepting. It's unfair. It's it's horribly unjust. But just now, I do not truly have any faith in this world. Back in 2014, the last time a war broke out, it lasted 52 days. I saw a lot of graphic scenes. I saw my neighbor who lives just one block away getting destroyed and pulled out of the the rubble into the ambulance. A lot of buildings around me, just a few boxes away, even one blocks away, got completely bombed. Imagine getting locked in a place, no electricity, barely any food, and bombing every single day, every single night. So just two days ago, the night got really, really bad. And I just slept for two hours. And then I wake up, I was like, I was really touching myself. Am I really here? Because I slept and I said, I don't care now. I'm not even having any hope that I will wake up. And my dad was in touch with his friends who lived in the north, where they are laying in the ground and they keep shaking and shaking and shaking. When they were bombing randomly, my friend, he was filming himself and his family running in the north of Gaza, running to nowhere. Gaza has no shelters and no safe places. People tell me, stay safe. And I I respond, where? Where is the safety? There is no place that is safe. But just the fact that you're running out of fear, 
feeling that if you run, you will just survive. It's it's a damage for the psychology. It's a damage for the soul uh, of the human being. Thousands of people are running. It feels that it's an ethnic cleansing. Pictures coming out of Gaza show bloodied bodies being rushed to hospital, homes reduced to rubble, and families and little children leaving their homes with the possessions they can carry. These photos reminds me a lot of the photos I've seen of my ancestors in 1948 getting kicked out of their homes, which I'm now living that consequence. I'm not originally from Gaza, I'm a refugee here. So I don't even know what home is. It's really like, it's beyond, I'm really surprised that I'm even able to put it in words. But yeah, it's, it's intense. In just a moment, we'll find out more about the international response to the situation. But first, a message from one of the correspondents at The Times, who's no stranger to war zones. I'm Anthony Lloyd, war correspondent for The Times. It's you who enables me to report from some of the most volatile environments on the planet. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since tensions escalated, world leaders like President Biden and Boris Johnson have reiterated Israel's right to self-defence in the face of those first rockets fired by Hamas from Gaza. This was the White House press briefing. The president also did two calls over the weekend, and in those calls, uh, he conveyed 
stressed the need for Hamas to cease firing rockets into Israel and affirmed, again, Israel's right to defend itself against terrorist attacks. As uh, I would note from the reports, there have been more than 3,000 rockets uh, that have been shot from Hamas into Israel over the last several days. The latest report of a call between President Biden and Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister, makes it clear that America now supports a ceasefire. But for Gaza residents like Mullock, the international condemnation of Hamas launching rockets at Israel ignores events in the weeks, months and years leading up to that point. Who started the whole thing? Who started the atrocities against people in Palestine, in Sheikh Jarrah, in Haifa, in Bethlehem, in the Gaza Strip? It's ethnic cleansing. They are removing, they are erasing Palestinians from their home for Israeli settlers to live in them. All the crimes that Israel is taking against worshippers in the most holy place in Palestine, in Al-Aqsa Mosque, they are getting faced with bullets, with tear gas. They are getting banned from standing in Damascus Gate. Look at what's going on in the demonstrations in Haifa, in Bethlehem, in the West Bank, where they are met with violence. They are beating women, throwing tear gases, suffocating people, violently hitting them and beating them. And then what the media is, is saying, why Hamas is firing rocket? They are now ignoring all Israel atrocities that is committing against the Palestinian, which is a violation for the international law. And when Israel and, and even America condemn Hamas for their behavior in this. I mean, as somebody who lives in Gaza, how did you feel Mm -hmm. when Hamas launched its first rockets towards Israel? So this time is different. Why? Because the Palestinians who left in East Jerusalem and we were demonstrating, they were calling for the resistance to respond. They are helpless, hopeless people. They were losing their homes. They were being ethnically cleansed and like nothing was happening. And Hamas did send a warning to to stop Israel. So Hamas responded with rockets. When we compare the destruction, it's just, it feels like fireworks. Israel, which is the occupying military, is refusing to agree on anything. It's refusing to stop the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. They are refusing a ceasefire. But now we are not talking about an equal thing. We are not even talking about a conflict. We're not talking about a clash. We're talking about a massacre. I'm not encouraging any kind of bombings from either side. I do want the, like, the end to be soon. And I do hope that the war will stop because the consequences will be and are very devastating. What do you want the world to know about what's happening in Gaza? Like, I'm in a place where I don't really have faith in this world. It's all fake. It's all double standards. And I don't see any hope. Like, where are the actions? Where is the United Nations that is only expressing its concern? There needs to be a stop for what's going on. If the U.S. or if Israel is using this excuse of self-defense, it means that they are giving kind of legitimization of the merger of more Palestinians. The merger of these children is illegal, is a violation. So that's why I'm not optimistic, because I'm seeing a very ugly silence in the international community from the governments.
What's your best case scenario for what happens in the next few days and weeks? The best scenario would be an ending. Would be an ending of this war as as soon as possible. It's already six days and neighborhoods have been destroyed. So I expect if there's another week of attack, half of the city would be erased, not of all of it. More people would be killed and more losses the city will face. What I'm saying here that this city is already paralyzed. It's paralyzed for years and years. It's under siege. It's a very vulnerable place. There is no ability for this city to resist more. What's your worst case scenario? I do think that the city is not going to survive. What the city will just be completely demolished. People will have a hard time imagining the situation. They will have a hard time imagining what Palestinians in the Gaza Strip are going through. But before getting into all these, I just feel that even speaking about the situation here is useless. Even speaking about the humanitarian, political, economic crisis is useless because the world do not even see the Palestinian people of Gaza as a human beings. The Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip are as, as, as human beings as you are. They are all equal. We are all equal. We are not only numbers. We are not only figures. We are human beings. The loss of a family member, the loss of people, is a trauma. The world, when they look at the numbers increasing, they are silent because they are used to it. In 2014, 1,800 people got killed. Hundreds of children got killed. But if we say that 100 Israeli got killed, the world will be shaking. So that's why when people say like Israeli and Palestinians should have equal rights, just say this statement to a Palestinian in Gaza and they will laugh. Because it was never an equal thing. We are talking about an oppressor and oppressed. Malek and her family live in Gaza as refugees because her grandparents were uprooted in 1948 when the modern state of Israel was first created. My grandparents, who worked very hard to build their homes but lost it within a few minutes and lived inhumanely in a camp and lived their entire life as a refugee, dreaming of returning, they have never been compensated, not even returning. So now when I speak about the right of return, which is my right, because I'm 21, I don't really know what my home looks like. I see footage of my village that is also located in the sea, but I wonder if I will ever be able to visit, if I will ever be able to be a tourist in my own home. So the world needs to wake up to the fact that the violations of human rights include the violations of Palestinians and human rights as well. But this will not happen as long as Palestinians are dehumanized, as not seen as human beings. How, how do you prepare for another night of, of that? It's been six days and I slept. I don't think there would be more than five hours. Unfortunately, I'm a light sleeper, so even a slight sound would wake me up. So what about the sound of bombings? It's not only the hearing of the sound. It's just the turbulence inside all your cells. You feel that the bombing is happening inside you because it, it, it feels that you are shaking 
you are so vulnerable and the sound is beyond what a human beings can endure. The sound is massive. So when it happens, the body keeps shaking and the body keeps like, I do think that I get into moments where my nervous system stops reacting. So I have a sister, she's only 10 years old. And at the beginning of, of this attack, she was terrified. She was crying all the time. She was trying to sleep and then she wakes up because of the sound. There are seven members of Malak's family. And while the bombing continues, they're all gathered together in the living room all night. Malak says it's become a tradition for families in Gaza. Why? Because in case a bombing happened, we die together. Really? Yes, we either stay together and die together so nobody mourns the death of anyone, or we just live. So my sister, she's only 10 years old, and we only escape, like we escape from the windows because windows fall down because of the shaking of the building, which happened many times before. So the bombing happened just like a few kilometers away. Everyone was running, except my sister, she was staying beside the window she didn't even move and we were looking at her like just move it's like the house is literally shaking and she was like carelessly looking at me and she said i'm used to it and just continued like playing with her phone so we are having a dysfunctions in the nerves system with the intensity of the bombings that are happening now sometimes we don't even feel anything Is that your sister? No, no. Yeah, she's telling me they are bombing a building inside us, so go to the to the living room. I asked my dad just a few days ago. He he has gone through so much, and the bombings were starting, and everyone was, like, scared. So I told him, like, why aren't you scared? Like, why are you just, like, chilling? He said, we have nothing to lose. I do have this delusion that I can belong to this world at some point. We need to stand for humanity. It's not about religion, it's not about politics, it's not about privilege. It's a humanity. Because the mother who lost her child just... The mother who lost three of her children, she's not different from any American mother, any British mother, or any mother in the world. You both are mothers. So I want people to just take a moment and think of people of Gaza as human beings and to think of them as people. This is my demand. I do blame anyone who's not taking action. We are artists here, we are thinkers, we are doctors, we have many potentials, but unfortunately they are getting buried, they are getting killed. As my conversation with Malak ends, the sound of the bombs grows louder. I really hope you and your family do stay safe. I I probably have to go now to the living room. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Malik Mata, a Palestinian artist and student based in Gaza. The producer today was Leona Hamid. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Nigel Appleton. If there's a story that you'd like us to look into, any ideas for future episodes, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do get in touch. Send us an email 
to stories of our times at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.